Amen. You guys can have a seat. How's everybody doing? Good. Uh, welcome to our 9:30 service. My name is Trevor. I'm one of the pastors here. My family and I—we've been here 10 years. It's been 10 wonderful years, and I always appreciate it when Stephen the elders allow me the opportunity to open up the Word with you. So, if you have your Bibles, we're going to jump right in it. Revelation 4. So, Steve had two weeks to talk about one verse. I've got 30 minutes or so to talk about 10 verses about our eternal home. You guys ready? All right, let's get to it. So, Revelation 4. Now, while you're turning there, a lot of things you think about as a little kid at night. I remember laying in bed thinking about all these different things, replaying my day. I remember thinking about who I'm going to terrorize the following day. Um, But I also remember thinking about heaven and the concept of eternity and forever and being scared. Like, it was a phobia of mine. Heaven sounds scary. And I think it was because I would read this passage that we're about to read, and my, my Trevor mind would translate that to be an eternal church service is heaven. And nothing sounded worse at the time than that. Now, um, we're going to talk about this, a couple things. One, even if Revelation 4 is all that heaven is going to be, it would still be more than enough. Because we are going to be in the presence of God forever and we're never going to get bored of it. But the thing is, notice the title says, is it the picture of heaven? It's a picture of heaven. There's much more to heaven that we need to talk about. So, a couple of my favorite books. This is a great title. It's called Heaven. Wow. Heaven. Uh, This is a classic written by Randy Alcorn. Uh, This is like a good guide of questions you might have. What does the Bible teach about heaven? So I'd encourage you, come up here, um, take a look at that before you head out. This is one of my top five books I've ever read in my entire life. It's called Imagine Heaven by John Burke. And what it does is it looks at people's near-death experience stories and compares them with Scripture. I had one guy come up to me last night, share his near-death experience story. It was like it was ripped out of this book. I finished reading this book, and I, uh, I'm a happily married man. I have four beautiful girls. I have a great ministry here. I have a lot to live for. When I finished this book, I was like, Lord, my bags are packed. I'm ready. Seriously, I'm serious. I finished this book. Some of the most beautiful stories you will ever read and so much hope. Imagine heaven, John Burke. Check that out. So, let's get right into it. Verse 1. What is this picture of heaven? And after this, I looked, and there in heaven was an open door. And the first voice that I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And immediately I, John, was in the spirit. So in other words, not in bodily form. I was there in spirit, and there was a throne in heaven, and someone was seated on it. Now, remember, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, but I want to make sure we don't make any assumptions here, automatically assuming this is talking about Jesus. So who is this person seated on the throne? Well, he's addressed, not shockingly, later as Lord God Almighty. He's called holy three times, emphasizing his holiness. There's no one like him. He's called the creator of all things, visible and invisible. He's called eternal, and he's worthy to receive glory, honor, and power, and by his will, everything exists. That does fit the Jesus description, right? But we're actually going to be introduced in chapter 5, this following chapter 2, the slaughtered lamb. And the slaughtered lamb, he's going to be standing in the midst of the throne, but he's not on the throne. So this is actually talking about Jesus in chapter 5. Chapter 4 is talking about God the Father. God the Father. And how is God the Father described in heaven? And the first question we have to ask is, how can you describe the indescribable. 
It's like when I'm trying to describe, uh, describe um, my girls, like the Diamondbacks winning the World Series in 2001, one, they have no context for a good Arizona sports team for like 15 years. They're like, what does that even mean? I'm trying to describe this moment to them, and words just fall short sometimes, right? You're, you're trying to describe an event, and you're like trying to describe it as best you can. And it's the same way here. John's trying to describe what he's what he's seen using, using human language to describe this supernatural event. So that's why you're going to see him use words like or appearance because he's trying to use human language to describe this. So notice what he says about the one seated on the throne. The one seated had the appearance of jasper and carnelian stone, a really bright, valuable, shiny stone, and rainbow that had the appearance of emerald surrounding the throne of God. So right away, first observation, are we talking about a black and white picture here in heaven, the throne of God? Are we talking boring? We're talking, boom, flashes of color, just awesome color coming at John firsthand, right off the bat. Um, you know, people have talked about the descriptors of the stone. They've talked about the rainbow. There's speculation about that. It's definitely talking about the Old Testament, definitely talking about Israel. We don't have time to go into that right now. I will say this, though. So if you guys take, write this down, you need to check out Revelation 4, this one. You also need to go to Ezekiel 1 and Isaiah 6 and lay these passages out side by side because you're going to see amazing similarities what these men saw. Now, I think it's interesting. Ezekiel also sees this rainbow-like adornment surrounding the throne of God. And is that talking about Noah's flood? Is that talking about this coming judgment? Possibly, but at the very least, again, we're talking color. And it's awesome. Now then, verse 4, just like everything in Revelation, it's hotly debated. If it's in Revelation, oh, there's a debate for that. Okay, so verse 4 says, around the throne, so around the throne of God, there are 24 other thrones encircling it, and on the throne sat 24 elders dressed in white clothes with golden crowns on their heads. So who are these 24 elders that John is describing right now? Some people have said, well, it's the angelic order. It's the angelic realm. Um, I don't personally believe that because if you go later in Revelation 5, you're going to see the 24 elders and angels talked about in the same sentence, but they're going to be talked about separately. Seems like they're distinct from each other. The other thing is this. What are these 24 elders wearing? What does it say? First thing, they're wearing white robes. You guys can talk to me. It's all right. White robes, okay? So Revelation 3, verse 5, it says, In the same way, the one who conquers, speaking of believers, will be dressed in white clothes, and I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels. Now, what else do they have? They have white robes, and what are they? What do they have? golden crowns. Now, when we think crowns, we're thinking what? Like, we're thinking like the king, we're thinking the queen, like a sovereign crown. But this, there's actually two different crowns mentioned in the New Testament. There's the, the king's crown, the sovereign crown, but then there's what's called the victor's crown. These would be the crowns given to Olympic athletes that have just won a race. That's this crown that he's talking about right here. And if you look back at Revelation 2, verse 10, God has already mentioned the crown of life given to faithful believers who've suffered up until the point of death. So I firmly believe that this is talking about believers, the 24 elders. It's a representation of believers. Now, is it every single believer that has always existed at that time? 
Um, we believe as a church, so we hold to a pre-tribulation, pre-millennial uh, view of this book. What has just taken place that we've talked about for the past two weeks? What has just happened? Rapture. So who has been caught up? The church, okay? This is us, believers in Jesus. They've, they are here, okay? So has God dealt with his people Israel yet? No, not yet. That's what the tribulation's for. He's coming to deal with them, okay? So we would say that this is representation or symbolic of the recently raptured church. Now, I think it's also interesting because in Ezekiel chapter 1, when Ezekiel is standing before the throne of God and seeing the exact same things almost that John has seen, guess who's not there? There's no mention of elders. There's no mention of thrones, and it seems as if this is a newer audience that's being introduced. Um, why are there 24? No idea. <laughs> no, we don't know. Uh, we can ask God that question later. All right, back to the throne. Verse 5. It says, Flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder came from the throne. So up until this point, John has been what? What's been happening? He's been seeing it. He's been seeing it's the sights of heaven, the sights of this throne room. Now what's happening? He's hearing it. We got sound, folks. We got sound. And is it like nice little uh, piano music? Like, what's happening here? Thunder. Lightning. Some of the most terrifying sounds in nature that you will ever experience. How many of you guys have been in a lightning storm? Anyone ever been in a lightning storm? All right. Hands up. Eight o'clock service, hands everywhere. It's like they, these guys have lived long enough to be in a lightning storm, I guess. Like there's tons, like there's, there was a lot of them. There's like five other services. So um, I had a friend of mine who, he was on a camping trip. Is this Samuel? One, I'm glad you're here, okay? Um, and you guys are gonna hear about what happened to my friend here. Um, Samuel was on a camping trip and he was uh, by the lake, which is a great place to be when a lightning storm comes in. Um, and Samuel said that before lightning even hit, he felt this, it seized him, the electricity. Like it had, it had that current and he could not move and he f it felt painful, <laughs> the electricity going through his body. And then what happened afterwards? Lightning hit this huge ponderosa tree and just <laughs> toothpicks, just splintered this thing, obliterated it. And he, my friend Samuel said the impact of this felt like someone came up behind him with a baseball bat and as hard as they could just hit him in the back. Samuel, I'm glad you're here to tell this story so, uh, so I can use it as a sermon illustration about the power and the might of God. This is what John's seeing right now. This is an awesome, crazy thing and you gotta think he's, he's afraid by now. This is overwhelming to him. So we get to this seven fiery torches that were burning before the throne. These are the seven spirits of God. We don't have time to go into it this morning, but if you look back on our sermons, Revelation 1 verse 4, Revelation 3, this is talking about God, the Holy Spirit, being present around the throne. And so I love it because we have God the Father seated on the throne. We're going to be introduced to the Lamb in chapter 5, Jesus, and then we're going to have the Holy Spirit. So we have this triune God who's being talked about in the book of Revelation. Verse 6. So imagine this, as if this wasn't enough. Verse 6 says, Something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was also before the throne. 
So again, just imagine you have all of these colors coming at you, and then what's in front of this throne? Something like crystal and glass. What happens when light hits crystal and glass? What happens? It, it's refracting, right? It's sending all these other different colors. Just So there's just even brighter, amazing colors coming from the throne of God, probably because of the sea of glass and these crystals. So when we finally stepped up our game and invented color TV, God was like, it's about time I invented this thing called color. Welcome to reality, right? Like, this is awesome. All right, now we get to the good part. Um, freaky, I should say. Four living creatures covered with eyes in front and in back were around the throne on each side. Now, the first living creature was like Notice he says, like a lion. The second living creature was like an ox. This is my favorite part. The third living creature, face like a man. So it's like weird, weird. Oh, hey. And then uh, <laughs> fourth living creature, a flying eagle. Now, all four of these living creatures had six wings, and they were covered with eyes around and inside. So what are these things? They're freaky. That's what they are. They're freaky. What is this? Now, for those of you that don't know, there is an angelic order. God has created an, an angelic order. We'll see like uh, Michael the Archangel, right? You're going to see uh, cherubs. You're going to see seraphim. You're going to see, uh, I guess you could call them regular, regular angels, regular messengers. Um, Isaiah 6, is this talking about cherubims? Uh, it's potentially what's happening. But at the very least, these things are going to be dispatched later by God to enact the judgment of the tribulation. Um, I think it's very important that as we understand and read our Bibles, we've been duped into thinking that the unseen realm, the supernatural realm, this angelic order, when we are, when it's around Christmas time, when we think about the uh, angels singing to the shepherds, we think of something like this sometimes. Oh, man. I remember going into my grandma's house, seeing the shelf full of those things. I'm like, oh, angels, Ugh. all right? You know, and we think stuff like this, like, oh, cute, right? When in actuality, it's probably something like this, right? Like, these things are freaky. And if the four living creatures are, at the very least, superior to the angels, by the way, every single time, what do the angels say before they appear to people? Don't be afraid. And every time, what happens after they appear? Boom! People fall down, and sometimes they'll worship him. Angels have to be like, get up, get up. Come on, I'm not the one. These four things are worshiping God the Father, who's superior even to them. They're worshiping him. So, crazy stuff. So, all that to say, I hope John was wearing a diaper when all of this was happening. Um, Again, interesting symbolism about this. You know, the ox, the flying eagle, all those things. But really... We don't have time to go into that, but it's the role or the job that these, these uh, four living creatures are, are, what are they doing? And it says, day and night, they never stop saying, holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. So what are these four living creatures doing constantly? What's happening? They're praising. They are worshiping God the Father. They are saying this doxology, this hymn of praise to God the Father. And verse 9 says that whenever 
these living creatures who are constantly doing this give glory and honor and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever, focus goes back to the 24 elders. And what do they do? It says the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and they cast or they lay down their crowns before the throne and say, our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive honor, glory, and power because you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created. This is a picture of heaven, the throne room of God. And so what are our takeaways from this, this amazing vision, this amazing thing that John has seen? Um, first takeaway is this. God is worthy. He is deserving of our worship. And he's worthy of our worship. Why? And that, it's okay to ask that question. People ask me that, like, well, why should I worship God? If he does exist, why should I worship him? Um, because he's holy. There's no one like him. There never will be anyone like him. You, we saw those freaky-looking look, things, like, they're almost terrified bowing before him. So imagine just the splendor and the awesome and the might of a holy God. In other words, God isn't our cute little pet kitten that we carry around with us. He's, more, he's the king of the jungle. That's how he's portrayed in this passage. He's the king of the jungle. I love in the Chronicles of Narnia, in um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when the children are about to meet the king Aslan, the lion Aslan, for the very first time, um, they get a little bit nervous, and they're also excited at the same time. And Susan says, um, Aslan, is he safe? I'm a little nervous meeting a lion. A little understatement of the century, by the way. I'm a little nervous meeting a lion, like, uncaged. And Mr. Beaver says this. He's like, safe? Who said anything about safe? There's nothing safe about him. But he's good. He's good. He's the king. And he's worthy of our worship. He's also worthy because this passage says that he's our creator. So notice verse 11. Why are the 24 elders laying down their crowns before him and singing? It says, you're worthy because you have created all things. All things. So contrary to popular belief, we are not here by accident. We are not just cosmic stardust that is formulated together magically over time accidentally, and then our purpose in life is not to pass on our DNA to the next generation who will pass their DNA on to the next generation who will pass their... No, that is not our purpose. We have been created by a creator. We are here, and the reason he's created us is to know us so that we can worship him and know him. So we can know him. He wants a relationship with us. He's pursuing every single person here in this room. I'm convinced of that. And he's also not the distant creator. He's not the creator who winds up the, the watch or winds up the clock and then just pushes it away and says, okay, that's it, I'm done. He's engaged in his creation. He knows what you're going through. He knows what we're going through. And he's not just engaged, but he came into his creation. Jesus became man. He became God in human skin, came into our space-time reality to save us from our failures, to save us from our sin. And so because of that, the final reason he's worthy, he's worthy because he has made us worthy. He's worthy because he has made us worthy. Isaiah 6, when Isaiah, the same scene, when Isaiah is approaching the throne of God, do you remember what he says? 
He says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. In other words, the closer he got to God, the Father seated on his throne, he saw God's holiness, he saw God's splendor, he saw how awesome he was, and he realized, I, I'm not even worthy to come into your presence because I'm sinful, I'm broken, I'm messed up. And guys, that's why Jesus came, so that we could go into his presence. It says in Hebrews 10, 19 and 22, so therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary, enter before the throne of grace through the blood of Jesus, let us draw near. Let us draw near with the true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. He is worthy because he has made us worthy. Second takeaway, God is seated on the throne. God is seated on the throne. He is in control. So we read our headlines, we look at our daily life, we look at our world, and it seems as if things are falling out of place, all over the places, everything's just discombobulated, and it's just yet again another reminder. Things are not falling out of place, they're falling into place. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. God knows. He's got a plan. We're gonna, that's what Revelation, it's, he wins. He wins. We win. And so, I remind us, it's our favorite season coming up, election cycle. Woohoo! right? Love our political ads that we're going to see in every YouTube video and all the spam text messages. It's going to be awesome, right? And it's going to be, again, another reminder for us as believers, as believers, God's on the throne. Daniel 2 says that God raises up kings and he pushes them down. They're there because he said they are. He's in control. And we need to trust him. So if we're freaking out as Christians, acting as if God is not in control, we are not being a good testimony to the world that he is sovereign, that he is on the throne. So let's do that. Third, this is my favorite one. Guys, heaven is going to be awesome. Heaven is going to be awesome. And we need to live and know what our destination is. And I find so many Christians, and I, this was me, this was me for so long. I find so many Christians, they spend more time planning for their upcoming vacation and knowing where that destination is than they know about their eternal destination. They've planned this awesome vacation that's coming up. And that's great. I'm not, I'm not bagging on people that have vacations. Do it, right? But my point is, man, you as a believer, how much more so for your eternal home? Do you know what it's going to be like? If you think it's going to be boring, I'm just going to show this. Does anything about that look boring right there? That looks like it needs to be explored. I'm going to go check that out. It also makes me see how small and insignificant I am, but just shows me the this, this splendor and the majesty of God. There is nothing boring about that. That's just a glimpse. That's just a picture of heaven. So why do we think that if this is this world and heaven's an even greater, greater vision of what this is going to be? Man, I, I call these like snapshots of heaven. Snapshots for heaven for me are this. I remember... I still remember like it was yesterday. My, the doors opening up for the very first time and seeing my wife for the very first time in her wedding dress walking down the aisle. That is a freeze frame moment for me. I remember holding my four baby girls for the very first time. That is a freeze frame moment for me. Last week I was taking a walk with my family and I saw yet again another one of those awesome Arizona sunsets and I just, I literally stopped and I said, wow. 
And I also thought, how do people think this just happened? This is so beautiful. This is awesome. Beauty in this life is a snapshot of the next. Beauty in this life is a snapshot of the next. Revelation 4 is a picture of heaven. And again, reminder, if this all heaven is all, all heaven was, it would still be enough. It would still never get boring. But guys, this is not all that heaven's going to be. We're going to be finding out that in heaven, we're going to have jobs. We're going to find out that we get to have, it's not, heaven's not just a magical box up in the clouds, floating in clouds with naked, naked fat babies with wings flying around us. That's not, that sounds like another place to me, right? Like, Heaven, God comes to earth. The new Jerusalem, the city comes down. We have the new heavens and the new earth. And we get to rule and reign and explore it and be in God's presence and worship him. And we think worship is this, like come into a building and sit down and sing songs of worship and and hear some crazy guy talk for 30, 40 minutes or so from the Bible. And we can encapsulate that and think sometimes, well, that's worship. So when we see worship in the Bible, it's like, well, that's what it's going to be. That's No, this is just a part of worship, what we're doing right now. How many ways can we worship God? There are so many ways we can worship God creatively through our gifts, through our abilities. Why is it going to be any different when we get to heaven? Why is it that we think, well, I'm just going to be sitting around just being like floating around in a box with clouds? Like, no, that's not heaven. Our wonder and excitement of heaven is going to impact the way we live our lives here. It should. Which is why, for the final takeaway, how can we not share about this wonderful God and this wonderful place that we're going to go to as believers? We need to share this. Revelation 1.19, Jesus says, the things, that you've, the things that you've seen, John, write these things down. Why did he have to write these things down? So that we could read about it. So that he could communicate the reality of heaven. And guys, when we share the gospel, we're communicating the reality of God, the reality of heaven. We need to share the hope that is in us. And so oftentimes we as Christians, our hope is not just, praise God, I'm not going to hell. Like, praise God, yes. You cannot have good news without bad news. So I'm not saying there's no hell. Don't mishear me, okay? There is a hell. Whoever does not believe will perish, right? But the good news is this. Jesus has defeated sin and death. We get to live in his kingdom, enjoy it, take care of it, steward it, worship the only perfect and awesome king forever. And we're never going to get bored. And we're going to meet every single believer that has ever existed. And we're going to get to explore all of this and be a part of it. That's what ruling and reigning looks like. There's nothing boring about that. So we need to share that reality with our neighbors. We need to share that reality with our friends, with our family. Every single person needs to hear about this. And I need to ask you this question before we leave this morning. Do you know this is where you are going? Do you know that heaven is your home? Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? Have you been made clean so that you can draw near to the throne? The Bible teaches that you cannot clean yourself up. 
You cannot be baptized. You cannot do enough good works. You cannot go to church all the time. There's nothing you can do to clean yourself up. That's why Jesus came, so he cleans you up. He gives you his perfect life, and he credits it to your account. He takes your sin. He kills it. And it's because of that that you become adopted into the family of God and you can approach the throne of grace as one of God's kids. So Desert Springs, let's live for eternity. Let's live for this. This is our home. This is who we are made to be with. And let's live every single day, every single moment, in everything we do to worship the King. Let's pray.